0: It happens here and it finishes here. Two men enter one man.
1: Nearly two word review, just a shit sandwich. That right there is a, a logical power. Welcome to Chunky Glasses, the podcast. This is episode number 41, and we are technically taking the week off again uh, this week. But on Wednesday, I had the chance to sit down with local musician and drummer extraordinaire Ben Tufts. Uh, If that name sounds familiar, it's because he has played with uh, pretty much every band in the DC scene. Uh, If you throw a rock at a band, you are likely to hit him behind the kit, though I would not recommend throwing rocks at bands. Um... His latest project is a collaboration with Bobby Thompson and Tony Moreno uh, called Mudray. Uh, They have a five-song EP that is out, I believe it might be Tuesday, but the CD release party is going to be on the 15th at IOTA. Uh, So we talked a lot about that. We talked about uh, his foundation that he set up for his father, the Craig Tufts Foundation, Um, and then a little bit about 80s music and just sort of rambled here and there. So I will shut up and enjoy our conversation. all right we're sitting here with uh ben tufts thank you for making it out to the uh basement cave (laughs) on a weeknight ben my pleasure uh you were teaching students what like not an hour before
0: yeah i teach uh private drum lessons during the week um in uh, western fairfax and also also in a new place in dc called seven drum lessons so that's my uh I don't have a day gig. I guess I guess you could call, you'd call it a night gig.
1: Yeah, you have a night gig. Well, I mean, I think you do have a day gig because actually, like the, the question needs to be asked: like who in DC don't you play for? <laughs> <laughs> because I have been honestly like when you emailed me about Mudray, I was literally an hour before like I need to get Ben Tufts here and talk to him. Oh wow! Because yeah. it's we have. Uh, in three years not delved too much into the local scene and it's been like on our thing like to go and we're like, well on the radar. Yeah. And yeah. and it's like, uh, shit. You know, so who's this guy? Ben seems to play with everybody. <laughs> so we'll start there.
0: Um, I do play with a lot of folks. Uh, I think when people ask me that, I, I'm not really sure how to answer because, um, it's a little bit more complicated and, I guess maybe not that interesting to really kind of explain from a business standpoint how it works but basically there's there's several groups that I'm that are bands that I that are my bands mm-hmm. that um we don't we don't book a show unless unless I can be there and um uh everybody pitches in for the practice space mm-hmm. and um everybody has a hand in the writing process um there's only a few groups that really fit that um category which, which ones are those? Um In no particular order, uh, Miss Siobhan and Yuma Ray, um, who are the folks that I'm going to be touring with, leaving in a few weeks, um, and I'm going to be gone for the whole spring. Uh, And they're based out of California, um, and the rest are local. Uh, Derek Ivory and his band of misanthropes, Um, the Lauren Calve band, um, Mm -hmm. who I've been playing with for, I guess, about a half a year now, Um, and Mudray. Okay. And, um, that's pretty much it. Um, now there, the lines can be a little blurry, but the rest of my projects generally, I function more like a contractor Yeah, yeah. where, um, you know, uh, somebody comes to me and says, Hey, I've got these songs and, and oftentimes, you know, I already have three records and I want you to play the songs and kind of make them sound like the record. Cause I've got this show next right, week, that right, sort of right. thing. And there's a ton of singer songwriters that I play with that fit in that um yeah i've category. seen you with like laura sagaris laura sagaris yeah. yeah and that's an example of like you know when i said like the, the lines can be a little bit blurry like um i laura and i hung out a bunch uh and sort of she kind of we we kind of workshopped some of her tunes mm-hmm. before she took him to her producer jamie Candeloro um out in la and did her record out there i didn't play on that record jamie played because he's besides being a great producer he's also a, a very accomplished drummer right um so so you know um but uh and I'm and I'm close friends with a number of the singer songwriters that I that I play with. It's just it's just as convenient for them to not always have to be attached to a band as it is for me to not have to be committed to a singer songwriter all the time. For example, sure if I had to play every gig that that, you know, these dozen singer songwriters that I sometimes play with Uh, Booked? then I I, I would need to clone myself, you know, and they have have second call and third call. And
1: sometimes I'm not the first call. Yeah. So, well, I mean, I don't know if you're familiar, if you've been down to uh, Charlottesville much, which is just uh, south of us, we're in D.C. right now. Uh, There's a very like vibrant scene like that. A lot of professional like musicians, which I think you would qualify yourself as you are a working Mm -hmm. musician and that that is what you do. And it does end up being that, this rotating you know, some, you have certain projects, but you also are bouncing around from other things to other things because mm-hmm. it's simply, uh, an, an easier option. Um, cause putting together a band can be sometimes hard. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. Um, being in a band is a little bit like being in, in a, in a marriage with, mm-hmm. um, with more than one other person. Yeah. Um, so it makes it, you know, exponentially more complicated and, um. And it's it's like being in a business with with those people too. It is a business if if your band's going to be successful at all. So yeah, it's it's a very complicated thing. So the older I get, the more picky I get about which projects I really want to commit right. to, and which ones I would rather just kind of show up and and get paid. You know, even if it's great music and I really enjoy playing it, sometimes you know, it's not the right fit for me to be completely and totally committed. And, oh, another project I I forgot and need to mention, and I and it's it's like, it's kind of a. Uh, it's another sort of one that's sort of blurry is is Andy Zipp's new band The Cowards Choir. Yeah, and actually
1: Um, I I want to talk about that a little later because uh, I haven't heard it. Oh, wow. (laughs) And I want to, but... Cool. uh, Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it it does get complicated and everything and stuff, but um, you just finished up uh, the Mudray album Mm -hmm. and that's sort of what initially brought like you reached out to me and was like right we're gonna talk about mudray uh that is you bobby thompson and and anthony moreno is the bassist okay and all dc-based musicians correct yeah Yeah.
0: well bobby lives in falls church and anthony lives in clifton but yeah we um, all dc area
1: how uh did that come about as opposed to like other projects well that's a fun story um Bobby,
0: as you know, has been playing blues in in and around mm-hmm. the D.C. area for a long, long time, and uh, he's he's a he's a not a bit of a local legend. He is a local legend. Yeah. Um, right. You, you mention his name, and people people light up because everybody loves to hear Bobby sing and play guitar. Um, and um, basically, what happened is um, several years ago, uh, I bumped into, I got a chance to hear Bobby because. Um, I think he was using a drummer who another artist I play with had been had been starting to use and Mm -hmm. I may have been playing across the street and came came to Whitlow's um to hear Bobby and you know of course was just blown away and um and told him so afterwards and then um a couple months later he contacted me and said hey I'm looking to start a new um blues rock project um are you interested and so I said of course yeah um and so the first rehearsal or two Uh, was just me and Bobby and um you know we talked about well do we need another person do we want to try to do the you know the the whole Black Keys or White Stripes thing sure those actually are two bands that I I can't really claim to be particularly informed by but um but I think I think Bobby's a fan of some of their stuff
1: yeah there's definitely a Black Keys feel to the album thanks yeah I mean
0: I, I think I think uh I don't but know that, if, like I said, I don't know if that was a conscious effort, um, at least on my part. The, they're not a huge influence of, of, of mine, but um, I think that's a fair comparison to make, being you, being a—sorry, go ahead.
1: Listening to it today, I mean, you can actually hear uh, that. You can hear some uh, LaGrange oh. and Trace Ombre's like, ZZ Top. Sure. Uh, and— you saying actually that it's not necessarily an influence of that. Like there is like a little of the Texas shuffle pulled out of that. So sure. it's a combining of, of influences.
0: It's interesting. We're just kind of retooling one of Bobby's older tunes for mm-hmm. a Mudray treatment. And, um, we've actually decided to start it out a lot like LaGrange. <laughs> <laughs> um, nice. but, uh, anyway, um, Bobby said, you know, do we need to get a bassist?" And I said, you know, if we do, I know exactly the guy. Um, right. And so, um, I uh, I think they I think Bobby and Tony had hung out before I don't know that they had played together before but we got together and we started jamming on some of Bobby's ideas and it just made sense we share um, enough influences to have points of reference mm-hmm. you know and have some common ground but um, so you know we're all huge fans of classic rock huge sure. fan, fans of Jimi Hendrix and the Beatles um, and, and Cream uh, Bobby in particular is a is a giant Clapton fan and and um loves all of his work, starting with, you know, the stuff he did with John May all, all yeah, the way absolutely. up through his, you know, his uh um uh, his projects with uh like Derek and the Dominoes and all that stuff, all the way up through the solo stuff. Yeah. Um, um but Bobby's a a a big student of of the blues, um more so than me and Tony are. Right. Um going all the way back to Delta stuff, you know, the original stuff. Um whereas my influence is um are kind of all over the place i'm I'm as big of a fan of like dc hardcore probably mm-hmm. as i am of of old classic rock blues influence classic rock and i also love jazz music and i've studied that that a lot too um tony comes from an angle where he's 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 also very influenced by a lot of soul and hip-hop and r&b right and so uh you know, we have enough overlap that I think we have we have, you know, enough in common to sit in a room and play together, but those three different influences kinda really play play on what happens when we when we jam.
1: Yeah. And I think it I mean it actually comes together uh, pretty well. Thanks. Uh it, it definitely um like I said, you, you hear the ZZ Top, you hear uh mm-hmm. mentioning Clapton now, you can hear it having listened to it, like yeah. I'm a I'm a huge Clapton fan from like mm-hmm. I, I mean it's You know, I bought there's a strat up there. I bought that because I was like, Uh I love Clapton uh, Uh when I was like sixteen. So, um, outside of you know those not being like necessarily your influences, like how how do those how do your various influences feed into like your products? Like when you approach this, did you were you thinking, I need to somewhat fit in here or Mm. i'm or i'm gonna bring like what was the like level of collaboration
0: i guess that's that's a really interesting question i think that's one of my favorite things about the band Mm -hmm. is um you know regardless of how much i love to play with the other projects i play with um many times as a on-call drummer Mm -hmm. um you are playing a role and and it's it really just comes down to needing to Needing to do something that 's going to fit the music sure, um, and that goes beyond just the notes you decide to play and the beats you decide to play but but which symbols you bring to the gig and yep. which drums you bring to the gig um, and so um, i 've played a bunch with Justin Troywick, for example, and so when I play with him there 's a certain vocabulary I draw from because I know right his his style and what he 's going for, and so, you know the fusion of styles that he goes for um, when I play with Laura Garris it 's about the songs first and foremost, and I try to keep it as simple as I can, but, you know, I also try to put some energy behind it live. Yeah. Um, with Mud Ray, um, we have never, ever had a discussion in any rehearsal where one of us was like, you know, man, I don't know if I like what you're <laughs> playing there. Um, I think, and, and what's really funny is that one of the number one reactions to Mud Ray, uh, that, that especially other musicians, but just mm-hmm. people in general have, is they come up to me and like, man, you guys were great. Like, when are you playing again? And we're always like, well, it's kind of a side project. We, you know, it's a sure. pretty chill thing. And they're like, this needs to be your main project. And I think, I think the, what people are reacting to is that when we're on stage, we're completely unfettered by any sort of roles that we're trying to play. Right. And it's just the three of us being we, ourselves on our instruments. Which
1: is honestly like that, that, I think, I think is when some of the best stuff can happen. Sure. It's like when you're not, um, you know, it, when you have that freedom to just go. Yeah. And you know, and you are trusting the people that you're with that. It will make it's... it work. Uh then that is and regardless of like the genre, even mm-hmm. like it's just that's when like the best stuff happens. It it really is a,
0: you mentioned the word trust, it, it really is all about trust and yeah. I think that says a lot about um the camaraderie in the band, you know. Bobby Bobby for the most part will have a song anywhere between two thirds finished to mm-hmm. most of the way finished before he brings it to a rehearsal. And and when he writes, Bobby's got at any given point, three or four different projects that he's recording or performing with, and um, and he 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 will have in rehearsal. He'll be like, "Well, I've got I've got a Mudray song," which means that when he was writing it, he knew sure. this one is going to work for that. Yeah. Band. And um, but you know, oftentimes uh, he gets it in rehearsal, and t- Tony or I will will add a riff. You know, I'll pick up a guitar and be like, "Well, what about this?" Or um, or we'll we'll it won't have a bridge, and so we'll figure one out. Mm-hmm. Um, which is where a lot of the a, like instrumental jam, like yeah, kind yeah, of yeah, journey yeah. Uh, uh, bridges come from is, yeah, yeah. is Bobby didn't have a bridge written, so Tony and I kind of scratched our heads and, and went, "What if we tried this?" Yeah, so um, so yeah, it's been a lot of trust on Bobby's part as a songwriter to just be
1: like, "Well, here you go, guys, do what you, do what
0: you want. I trust you." So
1: it feels good. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, do you have a uh, if, if it was just like purely the Ben Tufts project? <laughs> like, would there be uh, something? Uh, a style, I guess, style wouldn't necessarily be quite right. Like, what kind of songs would you want to be writing? Hmm. It was just you. Well, that's interesting. You know, some of my favorite albums uh, don't have drums
0: on them. Uh, I've always told people, and I think this has a lot to do with my philosophy about how I play, that um, I didn't start playing music so I could play drums. I started playing drums so I could play music. Um, and when, so, when,
1: when did you start playing music?
0: Well, um, there, there, there is photographic evidence of me destroying a um, a Muppets drum set from Sears. <laughs> Excellent. I think when I was five years old, yeah, um, and apparently it had paper heads and lasted about two weeks, as they do. But I didn't. After that, it was the pr- proverbial pots and pans until. Um, until sixth grade, when I started playing in band in middle school, in Loudoun County, uh, right. and uh, that was when I—that's when I started playing drums. I started playing drum set. Uh, New Year's Day, um, when I was in eighth grade, because nice. I, I went to a, I went to a, a sale at Venomans up in Rockville, which is now the Guitar Center, in Rockville, yeah, yeah. and um, so uh, I've been playing drums. I guess coming up on twenty-five years. Anything else? Uh, I do play. I do play um, bass guitar. Actually, um, there was a period of time where I played more bass guitar than I did drums. Right. This is a while ago, and uh, I do know my way around a guitar a little bit and a keyboard. I was a composition major um, as well as an education music education major in my undergrad. So okay. So um, so I know how to find chords on a keyboard. And, sure, sure, yeah. sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I don't really perform much on those instruments. Although that might be able to change, or that might be about to change. Um, I've been, with one of my projects, I've been playing some guitar in preparation for maybe doing some acoustic sets. Right, so.
1: right. I mean, it's good to have, like, um, a varied, uh, I mean, there is there is a concept, which I believe in. Like, if you, if you can do this, like, you can sort of pick up anything. Right. Um, to varying degrees of competency. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're always going to have the one that you're just great at that, that locks in
0: there's always your first love your first exactly. language. yeah
1: exactly um, um but by knowing all of these like i actually literally just started learning drums uh i think four months ago cool you know after 40 years yeah. <laughs> like, and it was like oh shit that all makes sense now and and like it can inform like how you do how you play other instruments I absolutely um, um i've had folks that i
0: play with before keyboard players or guitars for example that were. Um, they started taking drum lessons, um, and I could hear it in their guitar playing or keyboard playing. Like months right. later, that they were thinking more rhythmically and, and that sort of thing. Um, sorry, to, I didn't really answer your question. Yeah, you know, no, no, uh, it, was, it was a back, but as, back to the question. Yeah, as far as as far as genre, um, that's a re- that's a really interesting question. Um, Paul, I believe it was Paul Simon, said it, something along the lines of uh, of this in an interview. Um, you know, a lot of musicians will make a journey as they mature and study different styles, Mm -hmm. um, throughout their career, but they tend at a certain point to return to the music that was the music they fell in love with when they first decided they wanted to play an instrument and wanted to, to make music themselves. Yeah. Um, I grew up listening to my, my dad and my mom and dad's combined record collection and the records that I really gravitated gravitated to back then were the Beatles and Led zeppelin and um some motown and stacks and um i had a i had a really interesting exchange with a, a, a singer songwriter friend of mine about a, uh, this i think it was over over the summer about about authenticity and fusion yeah. and um what what something what a what a a band needs to sound like in order to be authentic in any given genre, and what I arrived at, at least in my opinion—I don't know if she agreed with me—was <laughs> that I think every, I think fusion itself is, is it, if you examine any genre, mm-hmm. it started out as a fusion of other genres. Um, there's a whole family yeah, absolutely. Who you can trace, absolutely. and and so what it comes down to for me on a on a more granular level is every person is a fusion, and so whenever I play with Derek Avery, whose music is is fairly fairly easily classifiable as as power pop or pop punk sure sure um you know jazz, the jazz drumming that i've studied uh informs it uh the uh the the latin music the Cuban music that i've studied informs it mm-hmm. it still has it still works musically yeah um because it has to but but everything i everything i've studied at that at that point comes into what what i do when i hit the drums Well, it's
1: funny we we talked about this uh when we were talking about uh sharon jones last album yeah and and people like to call it uh, retro and i I sort of took issue with that because in my mind it's it's all cumulative Mm -hmm. people get distracted and then they don't they they forget. They forget that this is over here, and this is part of what builds it and stuff. And so everything you're hearing, though, like, is... It, it keeps building. Mm-hmm. Um, and so these little parts can fit into stuff yeah. and then just sort of, like you said, inform it yeah. and make it uh, better music. And it's... Um, it's interesting because like, it, especially in like more popular music, it, it can wildly miss the mark or stuff. Like there's no accounting for like why something is popular in a lot of cases no. Like, you can hear, like as a musician, like I can hear stuff and I know what's going on, but I can't tell you why, you know, my next door neighbor likes it. Well, if you could do that, then you would just write the next. I, yeah, <laughs> exactly. yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I
0: think it really, it really comes down to, is it honest? And yeah, well that um, is, and that's what people respond to. Uh, because
1: you can hear it when it's not.
0: Absolutely. Well, I think I think a lot of us can. Um, I think you know we're speaking as two music fans, yeah. and music matters a lot to both of us. Obviously, um, music performs different functions for different people. Sure. Just like fashion or or the bourbon we're drinking for, for some people, they're they're perfectly happy drinking you know rail or something <laughs> you know, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, we were discussing bourbon before the show started yeah. because we're both you know into it a little bit. Um, you know, for some people, music is background noise, and it's something they I listen agree. to uh, at the at the dentist office or on the way to work, and that's okay. But they're not likely to be as discerning as we are, and and because of that, they're they're probably not as in tune with when when, when music is sincere and yeah. genuine versus when. Yeah, it's I mean, it, I, mean packaged.
1: I mean, you're sort of getting into like the like the art of like songwriting and like what what makes something hit and what makes something not and songwriting and production. Songwriting and production. production Yeah, yeah, actually, it's interesting you say that because that can make the difference. Mm -hmm. You can have, like, the worst song ever, and it just, if it sounds good, (laughs) like, it'll just, people will hear it who don't care. Right. Like, who that, it's, don't care is not the right terminology. It's, it's people who it isn't, like, a priority, and they're just like, you know what? That sounds, I mean, yeah. Black eyed well, peas could be explained by that. I think I think it goes back to
0: for a lot of people it's it goes back to formative years. Mm-hmm. Um you know, for some people, uh, I, I think nobody enjoys middle school, for example. Right. And so everybody finds a way to kinda of get through it. And for some people it's sports and for some people it's um it's their studies like uh you know, or or it's or it's um Girl Scouts or it's you know, yeah. church yeah. their church groups. Um for me it was music. Yeah. And I'm very grateful for that. And yeah. so I've my entire life I felt compelled to to still participate and give back and and take
1: more from it, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Like I can't stop listening to Tears for Fears. Like, <laughs> like ever. It's great music. It is, no it is. Uh yeah. there's a lot of uh, we we've toyed with the idea of doing like a complete 80s podcast. Uh there was there was a certain <laughs> No, there's a certain uh, Or Derek was going to be here tonight. Uh he he's played bass for shit 40 years is taught by Victor Wooten hmm. um uh amazing musician but he uh will insist that like some of the best music ever written was written there and you couldn't see it though a lot of times because of all the fashion around it and you weren't
0: yeah I, r- we, I we talk reaction. about it a lot <laughs> well that's an interesting kind co- uh discussion yeah um I mean I grew up in the '80s, for the most part, and yeah. I, I I remember reacting to a lot of the fashion uh, in a really negative way. <laughs> um, not that I knew how to dress myself, sure, but um, yeah, I knew that something about those ridiculous shoulder pads and big bangs and mm-hmm. those you know crazy like jelly sandals, hyper colors, was, was bad. Um, uh, anyway, but but I think I think with with '80s music, time time has has kind of showed us which records are really great. Sure. Um, despite, I think some of us now react to the, the production that was used on a lot of those 80s records, Absolutely. a lot of reverb as being kind of uh, not very genuine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, the reverb wasn't very genuine. I, and then I heard, uh, I read somewhere, uh, actually I was listening to uh, the Nerdist podcast, mm-hmm. and they were talking to somebody and how the reason the reverb and the uh the in general the treble was always so high it was because people were just doing coke and so they were just, oh, that's interesting and so that was how you heard it and they were like
0: you're talking about the people that that mixed they were it? producing it yeah yeah, yeah yeah well that that's the reason why so many of those uh parliament and funkadelic records sound so terrible absolutely i mean absolutely
1: yeah you were saying um you listen to your father's records mm-hmm. and you uh actually have a foundation
0: Yes. Um, so, so my father passed away from cancer um, in in two thousand nine, and uh, he was the chief naturalist at the National Wildlife Federation, which is headquartered um, nearby in Reston, Virginia. And um, I grew up, um, you know, tagging along with him to uh, to the National Wildlife Federation headquarters. And um, when he passed, him and his wife. Um, discussed or before he passed discussed um how he would want funds to be allocated anything that was donated in his name Mm -hmm. and um they they decided that that they wanted to set up a scholarship fund and so um the scholarship fund was set up by um folks at the National Wildlife Federation friends of his work friends of his and um my stepmom Jean and um the, uh, the fund has been used to provide uh, scholarships for mm-hmm. um, one student and a, and a guardian to travel to various natural locations all over um, the United States and live in, in that area, whatever, whether it's the Adirondacks or, um, or um, Acadia National Park, for example, more recently, um, and study nature. Um and so okay
1: Acadia up in, in Maine. Yes, yeah.
0: That was uh it was I believe this past yeah, last summer that was the where it where it was called. Yeah, we, we
1: were up there about 2 years ago. It's gorgeous. It's
0: beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Um anyway, uh so after my dad's passing, I was kind of brainstorming and trying to figure out how I could honor his memory and I decided it was it was kind of um a collision of two th- two traditions where I wanted to figure out how to honor his memory and, um, I had been in, I started to be in the habit of, of having a bunch of musicians over in my house on my birthday in August. And so I decided to combine the two and move the concert to a real venue, mm-hmm. <laughs> Jam and Java yeah. in Vienna. And, um, and so we've done three of them now and we've raised a combined almost $5,000 for the fund. And it's pretty expensive because we have to fly the yeah, student and, sure, their, sure, and their sure. guardian there and pay for lodging. hmm Um. And so it's been really cool um the, what they advertise for the um got a friend here a cat <laughs> G-
1: Gus is making his way He's into a big another, fan of another podcast. Um
0: that's cool. That's Gus? Yeah, that's Gus. Um so so they advertise the um the uh, availability of the scholarship in all of the magazines the National Wildlife Federation publishes mm-hmm. and then students write essays about um what they've done in their communities to um to, to better their communities in terms of um, you know the natural world and uh, this is my dad's you know life's passion was, right. was uh, gardening for wildlife and uh, he wrote several books about it mm-hmm. and uh, was featured in you know several uh, TV programs about it and so it's been a really neat way for me to kind of give back and and uh, and kind of sit back and watch you know these kids who kind of remind me of my dad just sort of a precocious, Love and knowledge, love yeah. for and knowledge of nature, and these kids that write these essays they're not just like oh i went to a I went to a national park last summer, and I think I want to study nature for a week It's mm-hmm. kids that have like have taken it upon themselves to to um, spearhead uh, cl- trash cleanups in their communities or have have uh, done like bat house building projects yeah. um, you know really motivated kids, really smart kids
1: so so do you have there been like efforts made to like expand it the like push make a serious expansion of this of uh, the either. fund yeah
0: well here's the issue um we right now the fund is kind of eating itself um the, the there's there's always when somebody passes and my dad was was fairly well known in his commu- his professional yeah. community yeah. um when somebody passes And um, they're that kind of person. There's there's an initial influx of money, sure, and then after that, there's kind of an exponentially decreasing, absolutely, uh, you know, thing that happens. And so uh, we had a big bump right after he passed uh, for the fund, Mm -hmm. which was nice, but it's expensive to send these kids to these summits. And so at, at at this point, and hopefully this will change, but at this point, my concerts are the only thing have been the only thing that have been adding new money to the fund what my dream and what I would like to have Mm -hmm. happen is to have the fund get to the point where it's so large that we're able to just use the interest from the fund to pay for the scholarship And then it'll be, it'll be going for like after I'm dead. Yeah. You know, after I'm dead and gone. Yeah. Um, so, so recently, (laughs) I don't mean to talk your ear off. No,
1: no, 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 absolutely. That's why you're here. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Uh, more bourbon, sir.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Um, yeah, I could use some more. Sure. I'm not driving for a while. Um, recently, uh, I had a bunch of equipment stolen out of the back of my truck and, um, a a great friend of mine, Derek Ivory took it upon himself to, to host a benefit concert at Iota club and cafe in Arlington. And they raised almost twice as much money as the estimated value of the things that were stolen. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it was, it was amazing. It was really very, a very humbling night. And so I, um, kind of wrestled for a while with what to do with the extra money because it was donated in the spirit of let's help Ben buy back some new, some new drums. Cause I was stupid. Right. I didn't have insurance. <clears throat> and so, um,
1: to so hookers and blow off the table, <laughs> <laughs> Right, not doing hookers <laughs> and blow.
0: Um, and so, uh, I, uh, I kind of wrestled with it for a while and I arrived at this idea and it's still very new. So I hope I'm not jinxing it, but, um, uh, I'm I'm calling it play it forward, which is not a new a new idea. I sure. discovered when I tried to set up the Twitter account. <laughs> um, but uh, what it is is I'm taking the extra money, which is about a thousand dollars, sure, and I'm going to produce to begin with. I'm going to produce five tracks uh, with five different singer songwriters or friends of mine that I am already affiliated with through my various bands, uh, co-write, co-produce. Uh, bring in, decide who gets to play on each track, mm-hmm. and um, I'm going to um, release them digitally as each one is finished. Uh, for every dollar, half of it goes um, to my dad's fund, and half of it goes back into the recording project. The idea being that this will be a self-perpetuating yeah, project that self-perpetuating, will pay for itself and get larger and larger and stream more and more money into my dad's fund as, as it gets larger and larger. Um as as soon as I finish the first five, I'm gonna have um, actual physical copies pressed and sell them at, you know, various shows and my um my benefit concerts. Will
1: people buy physical copies? <laughs> you know, that's it's a, a good whole question. other podcast. Yeah, <laughs> right. We could talk
0: about that for yeah, a while. Yeah, yeah. Um we only had that's the reason we only had hundred copies of the Mudray C D
1: uh I would, pressed. Yeah, I have been talking with uh Dave from uh Mittenfields lives like down the street. Mm-hmm. Um and he's been talking about their new album and I hope I'm not pissing off Dave by talking about this. I've mm-hmm. <laughs> been talking about their new album, they're recording one. And then he's like, we just want to get a vinyl. We just want to get a vinyl album. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why? Like,
0: why do you, well, that's an interesting thing. Vinyl is at this point more of a commodity than a CD. Um, uh, yeah. And I can tell you this because, well, it's, it's just proven. Um, friends of mine who went to the future of music coalition yeah. uh, thing earlier, um, they um i mean there there's a big thing about vinyl and it's just because there's sort of an aging demographic that ha- that is has a nostalgia for it but there's also new new fans of vinyl mm-hmm. um and it's more collectible than CDs are CDs are seen as very disposable and um you know, I teach drum lessons, and when There's I try to...
1: 1,250 of them behind that wall. Right, right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I can't bring myself to sell mine either. Yeah. Um, and with every passing year, they're worth less and less. Yeah. But, um, yeah, um, finals becoming more collectible. They're more expensive to press, but your profit margins are higher, yeah. than CD, far higher than CDs. Um, and, you know, I can tell you as a, as a drum teacher, uh, when I have a student come in, uh, and this happens often, you know, the first three questions I ask are... You know, why did you decide drums? Why did you decide to play drums? And then what kind of music do you like? Right. Uh, and then um, what do you want to do with this instrument? And and when I ask them what kind of music do they like, sometimes they answer, oh, I, I don't really know, or I don't really listen to music, which to you and I seems like completely ludicrous. I'm. But what you have to understand is I... I I want to give right. So right, 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 I get right. really so, excited and I want to burn them CDs, but they don't have anywhere to play them. They're yeah. not putting CD players in laptops anymore. Yeah. Cars are being made without CD players. Now it's we're we're seeing, yeah,
1: we put a new car and it was like, why is there a CD player?
0: In yeah. Now? We're seeing the death of the, of the CD very, very, very soon.
1: Well, I, I am. um, and, and we'll get off this. And I, Cause I want to get back to like uh, your project and okay. your father's like fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm a strong proponent uh for uh the death of physical media. Hmm. I think Interesting. I, because well because I am a person who's sort of all about efficiency. Okay. And and not just efficiency in like the delivery but efficiency in the art. There if you see a lot of of vinyl being pressed, you see bands Like it's on white vinyl, it's on orange vinyl, and And, like if one thing I am not like, I have all those CDs because I am gonna be forty two this year. (laughs) That's not like that's not because like I collect stuff, and so there is
0: a difference I think between the collection and the utility. Yeah, I see this for example. I know I know guys that have twenty drum sets in their basement but don't ever play a show. I've owned five drum sets in my entire life, and I play right. between 100 and 200 shows a year.
1: This this drum set is Andres. Yeah. When he if he takes it, when he moves, yeah. I'll buy the exact because I don't. Yeah. Right. You know, I, I need it to bang. Sure. And it's that, function. And that, yeah. Yeah. And that's it. And for
0: for a lot of us, having CDs was function because that was the only way we could have them. Oh,
1: absolutely. No. Yeah. No. But I,
0: I and I kind of fight with the same thing you're talking about. For example, we had a a bit of a, a band vote that that had to happen. Mm-hmm we were ordering the CDs, because it cost fifteen more dollars to have them shrink wrapped, and the environmentalist in me, you know, being my father's son, was like, "F the shrink wrap." Yeah. Um, but the other guys, not to call them out, were like, "The CD might fall out, and it looks cool." And so I had to, I had to, I had and, to, uh, I had to bow down to them, and you know, but I'm constantly battling between the nostalgia for the for having the thing in my hands and 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 same as you being somebody who's all about efficiency as a drum teacher everything is in the cloud now all of my students notebooks yeah. are in google documents yep. um all of my handouts are in pdf form on dropbox folders and all of the recordings that i give them are now in mp3s yeah
1: it's it's the 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 availability of not just like the art but the mm-hmm. information is so right. like Sort of insane right now. Yeah. I mean, I uh, but I still have my copy of Abbey uh, Road hanging, uh, hanging on the how wall. How old are you? I'm 37. So yeah, you you remember when there was no internet? Absolutely. And oh, it's something like that, like people, <laughs> Gus, people who who are all about like the first music device they had was an iPod, mm-hmm. have no concept of, right? And it it is just. Like remembering that and remembering it took like two hours to download a naked picture. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yes. Yeah. No, but well, we could it wax did. nostalgic yeah. about, about the early days of internet porn too. Well, that's I, a whole different. Well, I, I hope you come back for many more <laughs> podcasts. So we will. But I. You. Like. W- if that in mind now, if it can just be there, then. Like that. That's like magic. Well, it is, but here is the thing, and this is the psychology
0: of the medium, mm-hmm. and this is something that I'm that I've I've witnessed a lot firsthand. Um, you know, folks our age like to get really um, self important and talk about how kids these days don't even they yeah. don't have to work that. I mean, you saw my lawn; it's not that big. <laughs> yeah, they don't even have to they don't even have to leave their house to get the music. They don't know blah blah blah, and and they they like to sound like. <sighs> We as we as musicians mm-hmm. and and lovers of music are historians. Um, I can tell you who played drums on all my favorite jazz records, and I can tell you who played bass and piano, and lots of times trumpet and saxophone on all my favorite jazz records, and I can tell you who played drums for the various incarnations of, you know, like th- that's yeah, yeah. that's part of what we do. Um, but but with um, with my students who come in for drum lessons, I'll I'll ask them to bring in a list of songs they want to learn. And I'll tell them that you have to tell you have to come in and be able to tell me the name of the song, the name of the band, and the name of the drummer. And these are kids who have How's Wikipedia that work out for you. <laughs> these are kids who have Wikipedia <laughs> available to them. Yeah. And they still come in, and I say, and I say, okay, where are your songs? Oh, I've got them on my on my iPod. And they tell me, I'm like, okay, what band is that? Oh, I think it's um, I think it's so and so. Or I'll get the song or and the and the, the name of the song and the name of the band mixed up. And then I ask them for the drummer, and they're like, oh, I don't know. And and here's the thing. These are not stupid kids. And these are not no, kids that don't no. care about music. They love music or else they wouldn't be in drum lessons. Right. But the reality is they don't need to know these things. They don't need to know these <laughs> things. And so, you know, we have to ask ourselves if if you or I were born 10, 15, 20 years later, yeah, would we be any more apt to 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 do the research if we didn't have to? And that's the thing that I'm always confronting some of my friends about it like, you know, you like to get all high and mighty and talk about how you know, kids don't have to work that hard to blah blah blah. Well, blah I mean, blah. It, But our it, our parents had to work a lot harder for for the things they wanted.
1: It's it's, it's and we really will go back to like <laughs> what we were talking about. Because this is this is a whole nother discussion with you. And like like I said, like over Twitter, I was like many deep discussions like we should have. Sure. But um that also gets into like sort of the, the, the list of mania of things where an appreciation of music is just like who, you know, yeah, which is really boring and you don't understand the actual music and uh-huh. which, which honestly like is a lot of uh, music sites like mine included sometimes. <laughs> like it, it is, it is, there's, there's a, there's a, a, a PR machine and a, and a visibility of stuff yeah. that doesn't, mean anything sure and it's but that's what's out there sure well we're increasingly
0: uh a more and more narcissistic society because of uh social media yeah and i'm always falling into the trap being somebody who unabashedly advertises on facebook and twitter about my shows because i want people to come
1: to. well you should um and I, I, i don't think that it's a weird reaction to people like People will be like, "Oh shit, Ben is like, like pimping his shoes. Mm-hmm. Like, you're a musician. Like, <laughs> that's your job. Yeah. Like, you should be. Like, and people should be happy that they're seeing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You would hope. Um.
0: Yeah. I mean, that the, the whole social media thing is is that that could be another discussion. <laughs> yeah.
1: But um. But so, so back to the, the the play it forward project. Yes, is now right now. Uh, are you just doing like local? Or are you are you yeah. extending this to like, and are you extending it to like larger acts?
0: Oh, I'd love to. Well, my my my. Here's my goal with the thing. Um, so far, I could change my mind because right now we have one demo in the can and another one we're about to go to record in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, I I have found myself falling into the role of producer with a lot of the bands that I've recorded with because we can't afford one because I have, I tend to, I tend to, when I, when I'm in the studio, I tend to think like an arranger or a composer because Mm -hmm. I studied the stuff in college and, and because I'm a bit of a control freak (laughs) as a lot of musicians musicians are. are. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so I have pretty strong opinions about how I think something, something should sound. And I have the ability to audiate and hear things in my head Mm -hmm. and, and I, and sometimes articulate them to an engineer And so, but I don't have any credentials as, you know, no producers do when they start out. They just haven't, they just have a bunch of opinions. And so, um, so with the project, my goal is to collaborate with a singer songwriter, Mm -hmm. but then for the, for the track, build a band around them of people that they've never played with before or hardly ever played with before
1: have you worked with flashband project at all
0: you know um
1: one of the folks involved with flashband almost moved into my house last month <laughs> are you serious um cody i have been and i apologize to him because i've been like we should meet up and like yeah. i haven't i keep not. do you know cody about. valentine i know the name yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, he almost moved into our house and
0: it didn't work out he's a really cool dude um but he told me about it and it's really intriguing it's it's a kind of it's kind of a single track recording version of what they do. Yeah. Except being being somebody who really enjoys being a musical matchmaker, I'm sort of I get to I get to do what I want. I get to cherry pick the artists that I want. Right. So the, the first track so far is um, it's something I co-wrote with Derek Eversy, and it's a track that we co-wrote and we decided was a little too prog. To really fit on it his new EP, never too Prague. Well, it was our decision, okay. and um, and besides that, it just didn't get finished in time for the sure. EP um, because we weren't sure what to do with it. It was kind of the redheaded stepchild of the collection of songs that we were putting together for the album, and so um, it was it was kind of on the cutting room floor, mm-hmm. so to speak. And I decided I wanted to finish it because it was it was a co-write of of ours that I had contributed more to than any of our other co-writes, right? Um, and so. And so uh we it it's going to be Derek and I, me playing drums and, and Derek playing guitar and singing. We've got Pasito Vega, who's a fantastic bassist who plays with his wife, Amanda Lee, um, a great singer songwriter mm-hmm. um from the area. Uh he's he's already demoed some incredible bass ideas. He's he's a monster bass player and a super nice guy. Um and probably uh John Lee uh who yeah. he's a, a, a guy, a guitarist around town that everybody talks about a lot and who's um I was fortunate enough to play in a theatrical production with recently and and so I get to I get to play musical matchmaker and basically say, what would it sound like if I put together right. a band with this guy and this guy
1: and this girl and, and so it's That's really fantastic. Cool. Yeah. I mean that is I mean I, I feel like as a working musician, that would be what I would want to do. Mm-hmm. I mean like like one of the things like, my goal, like, with the site is give people an opportunity to, like, shoot at the 930 Club, mm-hmm. to write about stuff if you're a writer and stuff. It wasn't, in the beginning, it was just, yeah, I'm just going to talk about shit, but it, it has developed into, like, an educational thing Yeah, um, that has become far more satisfying. Like, we had our, Madeline was our first intern. She's now the intern at the 930 Club. Yeah. um, So... You know, we help her out, and you know, it—it it just that I think in whatever medium, when you have that opportunity, um, you get to a certain point that it's it becomes the more satisfying thing.
0: Sure. Yeah,
1: you know, like I—I I don't know if I would be. Sad. I mean, we you know, I'm supposed to go Sunday actually to Derek's uh, to knock out the RPM challenge in like one day, but. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that would be, like, it's really... We're just seeing if we can do it. Yeah. You want to explain the the RPM challenge? Oh, uh, in February, it's sort of like uh, the uh, NaNoWriMo thing where you, you, you basically uh, 10 hours or, I mean, thir- 10 songs for 35 minutes in a month. You have the month of February. And then you submit your album. Yeah. There's no winners. There's no losers. It's just sort of committing musicians to... Sit down and do the work. Yeah, because it is work. It's like the forty-eight hour film project. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's exactly like that. It yeah. be, I mean, because I mean, at the end of the day, like it is work. Yes, you know, you don't get to do what you do. You don't get to like even like approach like the project that you want to do without doing the work. Yeah, well, I think what, what's interesting to me about projects like
0: that is that it removes what can sometimes be your best friend, but sometimes be your worst enemy, which mm-hmm. is the, um, you don't have time mm-hmm. to edit, you know, and to, like, you just, you have to get the work done. And so you don't have, you don't have nearly as much time. Like the Mudray record has taken us close to two years to finish. Are you serious? For five tracks. Because it's a side project and right. I tour and Bobby tours and, and Tony tours and has a, has a family and it's, it's it's sometimes there are months that go by before where we don't play
1: right but that, i mean that that actually speaks to the chemistry that you guys have it that, that it can like over two years like i heard it and i was like uh there's a good chance they just bang that out hmm. like in a good way i mean it's just like because i know all of you guys are good players and so yeah. like that's actually a possibility you can just go in and yeah. done it's
0: actually been a very piecemeal project and not in a bad way i've actually- I actually enjoy it when I listen to it, and maybe it's just because I know how everything came together, but the drums were recorded in three different locations yeah um and uh some of the songs were tunes of bobby's that that were they're quite old, and other songs were ones that just kind of arose from jams when we got together, um, it's kind of a mishmash of a lot of different stuff, but when it's, when it, I'm, I'm really proud of it. And I feel like a lot of artists do this where they're always talking about their next project is their next record that's coming out. is like the, f- their, f- their best thing they've ever done. Yeah, I'm really self-critical and, but I listening, putting the CD in my truck and listening to it the first time, really, really loud. I thought this is the best thing I've ever done. And I never say that because I'm always so picky. Right. So I'm really happy with it. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's come together so well. And we, we spent a lot of time on the mixing. Uh, Aaron Mason, who who um, runs a business called uh, Sound Masonry Recordings, uh, has just been so patient and so tireless. I, I can't count how many times I went over to his house and said, you know, can we listen back to that mix one more time? And then changed everything. Um, and uh, Brandon Funkenhauser who did the mastering, was very gracious because my first email in response to the mastering was not very polite. <laughs> and um, he was really patient and totally gave us what we wanted. Um, you know, it took a while to get it, but um, we're so happy with it and we're really excited about it. We're playing a release show at IOTA on February 15th. Yeah. And uh, another one of my projects that I'm really super excited about, uh, Lauren Kalf band mm-hmm. is playing. And we're also being supported by West Main, that night is a great so, so
1: you're playing in two of the bands that night mm mm-hmm. mhm and then
0: and then west main will be playing um i i tend to book shows like that where i <laughs> end up playing all night um i i i just love hanging out with my friends and playing music and i'm in a yeah a enviable enviable position of where you can do it <laughs> sometimes i can book shows like that um i've learned to be careful because because you can hurt yourself and you can also wear yourself out mm-hmm but um, but I, for, for New Year's I played a show where I played with all three bands and I got to play original music all night for New Year's. Um, original rock music with some of my favorite people. Yeah, and that's amazing. Yeah, now, what, really what, did, what did you
1: do, I think, was it last week, uh, covered Green Day and a bunch of 80s songs?
0: Yeah, well, <laughs> so. so Jason Mendelsohn, I don't know if you're familiar, uh. he has a band called the Metro Songs Band and Jason's a really neat guy. First of all, He's a top notch musician, which a lot of people who have played with him don't even really understand. But this guy has so many instruments in his basement, it's crazy. And, um, he can make lots of different instruments sound very good. But his, his project is to write a song about each of the 80, I think, 84 metro stops.
1: Oh, yeah. No, I do know who he is. Yeah.
0: See, see, a lot of people know about his project, but not mm. him because he's not some. No,
1: I, I I've met him before. Yeah. I think he's but... a really
0: neat guy. Yeah. Very smart. Um, and, uh, he also hosts the classic albums concerts that are held um usually at iota mm-hmm. and I think they've done about five or six now. This last one was classic albums in nineteen ninety four and um uh you know there there i have to admit there are some clicks in in the d c music scene yeah and i I end up playing at iota club a lot um and I love it it's, a good it's club. my home away from home and um so in in that scene. Uh, also, because he works the door and often now runs sound is Derek Avery, who I play with a lot. Mm-hmm. And when Derek heard that Jason was considering doing a Classic Albums of 1994 concert, he said, Dookie came out that year, and <laughs> it came out February 1st. And February 1st in 2014 is a Saturday. So let's do this. And if you let us play the entire album, we will promote the crap out of it. And we did... We learned the entire record. We had three rehearsals to learn 15 songs. And, and three chords. Right. Exactly. <laughs> just... And um, and we did it, and we, we did promote the crap out of it, and we we sold out IOTA before 9 o'clock on a Saturday. That's awesome. We had, I think, six or seven other bands also play songs from the Tom Petty record that came out that year, the uh, the Pearl Jam record, Vitology, that came out that year. Beanstalk Library played that. Um, I also played with um, Taylor Carson and played mm-hmm. some songs from the soul coughing record Ruby Vroom that came out yeah. that year. Ruby Vroom is very hard to say when you've had several sips of bourbon.
1: It is. And, and actually, when you first tweeted, it, I thought you said Soul Asylum. I was like, no, yes, different band. Oh come on. <laughs> I, I like Soul. Runaway like run Train. Yeah, that was an anthem. It's not. Sure. There's 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 a reason it's a hit. Yeah, sure. So,
0: um, anyway, we sold out Iota and we had a great time. Um, it was, it was an interesting night for me. It was, it was both, it was a lot of fun to get to play those songs. And it was also, um, a moment of reflection because I realized here are all these people going crazy for these songs that came out 20 years ago. And I'm in 30 bands that work their ass off yeah to put original music in front of people. And sometimes we
1: play for seven people at IOTA. Which I think, cause we're, we're pushing like about an hour 10. sure Um, And you wrote a very eloquent post about the local music scene. Hmm. I almost think I want to save that for another podcast if you want to come back. Sure. Would that be? Um, But but get the gist of of your post. Well, you know,
0: I wasn't trying to write about a scene, uh, you know, because I can't claim to. Like, as I said, there are music clicks in DC. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't mean to that for that to sound pejorative, but what it comes down to is, you know, there's a lot of music happening. in DC, a lot of it's very good. And I don't know about all of it. Nobody can. Um, no. but I know about what I've heard and, um, Gus
1: is now your friend.
0: And, and when I got done with that concert, I felt good, but I also felt, you know, we're in a city that, um, that is very transient because of the Absolutely. nature of where we are, where we're at. And a lot of folks who move here, um, aren't here to invest themselves in a in culturally and invest in the arts locally they're here with a personal agenda or vendetta you know for 4 years or 8 years and then they're going to leave they're not here to put down mm-hmm. roots and, and establish a family and so it makes it hard in DC to build a fan base because everybody's always coming and going yeah and um but what I what I kind of wanted to do was just kind of sound a, cl- a clarion call to just remind people that every band that we were covering on that concert, <laughs> Gus wants to <laughs> Gus wants to chip in here. Um, every band that we were covering on Saturday started out as a local band, yeah. and um, when you know, all of us as musicians, I'm very fortunate to to really not play much in many cover bands anymore. Although I will occasionally with some friends if it's fun, um, but it's a little bit like whoring yourself out. Pardon you know, pardon the, the oh, expression, sure. but. Um, you know, and actually there's a lot of people who make great money at it. And I, you know, so it's a different, like,
1: hey, Derek plays in shag. Okay. So oh, cool. Yeah. Um,
0: I, I don't really, I did it for a long time in a wedding band and I don't really enjoy it. And so I made yeah. a conscious decision to to play original music and, you know, I'll play original gigs and people come up to me and do you guys know any so-and-so? And, um, I was remarking to a friend of mine, Justin Trawick, who who called me after I posted this blog and said, dude, right on. And I said, well, you know, Justin, you and I have been talking about this for a while. And I've watched Justin at various venues talk to people. And, you know, they come up and they say, hey, can you play, you know, Lumineers? And he say, well, you know, we don't play other people's songs. We play our songs. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, do you guys know any Dave Matthews band? Like, you know, we're trying to do what Dave Matthews was trying to do in like 1990 and and make it, you know, and um, So it was basically just kind of a reminder to all the musicians, like, keep doing what you're doing because what you're doing is really good. But my main point was to try to empower the non-musician and and the music lover and Mm -hmm. the music fan and the average guy in the street and say, look, you know, there's so much information on the Internet right now. It's it's completely bloated. Word of mouth is still number one. It's the gold standard. And please tell people about this original music that's happening in your local scene because otherwise you know it's 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 not going to go anywhere and i, I don't want to see any more um dismemberment plans that is one of the greatest bands from dc that never made it outside of dc they they toured lots but nobody knows who they are outside of dc right i don't want to see any more denalis like a fantastic band from richmond who yeah I, nobody I know, outside I, of richmond knows about i know those
1: guys i lived yeah. in richmond for 10 years unbelievable uh, mara band. was fucking yeah
0: amazing yeah um and you know, I don't want to see any more. I want to see bands from D.C. or Richmond or Baltimore who deserve to make it, who are writing exceptional, genuine music, get to make a living on the road, if that's what they choose, you know, playing their their songs. Yeah. Instead yeah. of playing covers.
1: That That is, I think, the dream. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, and, honestly, we could talk another hour about the ins and outs of that. Sure. Some other time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I think uh, for this time at least, I think I think we covered a good bit of ground. Sure. So uh, thanks ben, so much for having yeah, me. Yeah, Ben, thanks for coming down. Uh, you chose the uh, put the lotion in the basket option and came to our basement <laughs> <laughs> uh, and braved Cuss. So thanks. Uh, we will talk to you soon. Sounds okay. good. All right. So that was our conversation with Ben Tufts I hope you enjoyed that uh, I know I did Ben's a great guy uh, And he has a uh, literal wealth of knowledge uh, Pertaining to not just the DC music scene But uh, the music industry in general um, Like we set up at the top of the show uh, The CD release party for Mudrays' new EP uh, Entitled Lucy Is going to be February 15th at Iota uh, There are new advance tickets So show up early Get there, drink a beer, say hi to everybody uh, he's playing with two other bands, West Main and Norn Cav Band, uh, who he actually plays drums in. And uh, off mic after the our discussion, he was raving about them. I heard a little bit of that, and so you'll see that you're in for a treat. So that is about our podcast for this week. Uh, we are actually going to double down now. Uh, so on Friday of this week, we'll be putting out a second podcast, uh, Thor... Been busy off in Eugene, Oregon, but through the magic of the interwebs, uh, we were able to get him here in the studio to talk about uh, Speedy Ortiz's new album and uh, sort of the legacy of Kanye West at 10 years on. Uh, so, thanks for listening as usual. Uh, you can download us on iTunes uh, directly from the site, uh, you can listen to us on Stitcher. All these things are available for you, and we will see you next week.